wonderful to look out over an audience this morning and see so many smiling faces. We're glad to have you here. And I do know that many of you are honoring your fathers today. And I encourage you in doing that, do not forget to honor our Heavenly Father from whom all blessings flow as we have studied in the book of Ephesians. For those of you who are visiting with us, we're studying a series of lessons from the book of Ephesians, and we're simply letting this letter speak. We're trying to study it in its own context to do what is sometimes referred to as expository preaching. That is, we follow the text and let it guide and direct our study. By way of introduction, I'd like to point out to you that everyone who studies the Bible is forced to dig deeper to grasp some very important teachings. There are numerous things in the Bible that you can grasp simply by reading it. You can read the wonderful messages like, for instance, Noah and the flood and building of the ark. You can read about people like David and his slaying the giant Goliath. You can read about David and becoming king over Israel. When you come to the New Testament, you can read about such characters as Peter and James and John and their occupation as fishermen. But it is when you come to the epistles of Paul and he really focuses attention on some lofty biblical teachings that you're forced to do just a little bit more because some passages are challenging. If you are not being challenged in your study by some of these passages, you're not reading them carefully enough. What is the relationship of grace, faith, and works? All three of those concepts are found in our reading for today. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. And when you think about these, how do you harmonize them? You know, in the world today, we're being told that we are saved by grace alone. Others will go to the various passages of the Bible and point out the necessity of obedience. How do you reconcile and harmonize all three of these teachings it can be done and it must be done. This passage elevates God and His will, His plans, His desires for man, while at the same time placing responsibilities upon us. So to this morning we will look at these three things. From verse 8, grace. From verse 8, faith. From verses 9 and 10, we will look at works. Let's go back to verse 8 and let's focus our attention there for just a few moments. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. I want you to focus on just that phrase for a moment. For by grace you have been saved. If you remember last Sunday we studied verses one through verse 7. And we made the point, verse 1 of chapter 2 says, 
and emphasizes you who were dead in your trespasses and sin, he made alive. You come down to verse 5 and he inserts this parenthetical statement that says, by grace you were saved. What does it mean to say by grace? What is grace after all? I know that most of you, if I say grace, immediately will say unmerited favor. I'd like to spend a little more time to talk about this word. It is a term of relationship. It describes a disposition of one toward another. You see, we often think about grace having reference to what God does. But you realize many times in the Bible, grace relates to what we do or the kind of relationship we have with another person. Let me focus your attention here for just a moment. The word that is translated grace, which is the word charis or charis, is also translated favor in the Bible. I'd like to focus your attention just for a few moments on a few passages. Listen to Ephesians 4 verse 29. Paul says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. He said, don't use bad words, don't use corrupt language. He said, use good words. Why do you use good words? So you can... Bring about, he says, necessary edification, building people up. He says that it may impart grace or favor to the hearers. That's exactly what I am trying to do this morning. I want to speak in such a way that you will favorably receive what I am trying to say. You see, if I'm not doing that, or not doing that effectively, then you're not going to listen. And when Paul is describing this, that's the idea of grace. Notice when we Luke 2.52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. The word favor there is the same word. Did he increase with favor toward God? He did. But he also increased with favor toward man. Were people favorably disposed to Jesus? Almost well, certainly. You think about it in life. Are there some people that you have a good feeling toward, that you are favorably disposed toward? Well, yes. That's what that word really means. Look at Acts 2 and verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved having favor with all the people. The Lord's church tried to reach out and be a powerful example for good among the people in Jerusalem so that the church was viewed favorably. Now what about when you talk about divine favor or God's grace? Whether it is words whether it is actions, God's favor toward man is unmerited. That's where we get that idea. It's not as if I am so good that God looks down and says, you know what, I just can't help but love him. 
God doesn't look down at any one of us and say, I can't help but love them because they're just so fine a people. It is something that God in His nature bestows upon us. Let me focus your mind, for instance, 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul says, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labor more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Did Paul merit God's favor? Well, let's see, what did he do? He blasphemed. He was a persecutor. He was an insolent man. When people were put to death, he cast his vote. Oh, no, no. Paul persecuted the body of Christ. It was by the grace, the favor of God that Paul was who he was. Listen to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. God's favor, unmerited favor was extended to them. Let me direct it a little bit further. There's some uniqueness that we enjoy through Christ because of God's grace. In the book of John, chapter 1, John the Apostle, the Apostle of Love, is going to explain what Jesus did in His coming. He said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now if you'll skip down with me to verse 16. And of His fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I don't have time to unravel that beautiful passage for you, but there are a number of wonderful teachings here. But let me point out, there is a contrast here of what God did through Jesus. Something special by Him. Now let me illustrate it like this. There was grace in the Old Testament. Some people will look and say, it says there in verse 17 of John 1 that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. As if under the Old Testament there was nothing but law, and under the New Testament there's nothing but grace. And that's not the point. Because there was grace under the Old Testament. Listen to Genesis 6 and verse 8. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Was there grace there? Genesis 6, 8 says there was. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Would you say that God was gracious to Israel? You'd have to say he was. 
Well, then how do I understand what it means to say that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ? It is the fullness that Jesus brought. And that brings a whole new dimension to it. Again, another very powerful passage. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth to be a propitiation by His blood through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. If you'll permit me, I'll try to give you the shortened, simplified explanation of these verses. The explanation is simply this. Under the Old Testament, everybody who sinned deserved death. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Under our age, everybody who has sinned deserves death. Now, who all has sinned? Verse 23, everyone has. Why didn't we die? Why didn't they die spiritually? Because of Christ. But why didn't God just simply say, those people under the Old Testament, well, I'm just going to not recognize your sin. Because God is just. God cannot just look at sin and a violation of His law and say, oh well, it doesn't matter. God wouldn't be God if He did that. God has to have all of His attributes. One of His attributes is love. Another one of His attributes is justice. So there's a word here in verse 25. I want you to see that word. Whom God set forth as a, there's that big long word sometimes hard to pronounce, propitiation. And what that word means is that Jesus satisfied the justice of the law. He died for my sins. That's the idea of the redemption that is here. That is the uniqueness of the grace of Jesus Christ coming through Him. Of John 1 and verse 17. The law came through Moses, but that law didn't provide anything but an acknowledgement of sin was sin. But when Jesus Christ came, He brought real grace because He brought His blood. I will tell you, it's difficult to fully appreciate the grandness of grace. I will tell you that if you read the rest of Romans 5 into Romans 6, you will see Paul's marvelous explanation of the way God accomplishes through Jesus. But I've got to continue to move on through this because there's a lot more to go in Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. The latter part of verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. What does it mean to say through faith? 
Well, the word through is from the Greek word dia, D-I-A. And it means by means of. Or our English word via, via. Causation or instrumentality, or what the lexicon says. Let me simplify it for you. If you want to go to Nashville, you can go via Murfreesboro, or you can go via Smithville and Lebanon and go I-40. There's different ways, but if you go, you've got to go a way. When you start talking about how to get into the grace of God, there is a means, there is a way, there's an avenue by which you get there. And that is through faith. In order to get grace, you have to go through the means of faith. There's no other way. It's as Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes into the Father except through me. There's no other way than through faith. I want you to listen to Romans 5, verses 1 and 2. Some of the best commentary on Scripture is found in other parts of Scripture. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have had access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith into this grace. What I understand is there's no other way to get in the grace of God than through faith. Well, that brings up a question for me. What does he mean by faith? There are two possibilities grammatically here. One possibility is personal faith. The other possibility is revealed faith. And you say, I don't understand what you mean. So let me illustrate that. Personal faith is our part in salvation. That's something that we do. I know you all know Hebrews 11 6. You can quote it. But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You come to God and you do not believe, you're not acceptable. If you don't believe that he is, those atheists out there, those skeptics who deny God, they have no access to the grace of God. On the other hand, there are places in the Bible where the faith is described. There's a definite article in front of it. As in Jude, verse 3, he said, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Now, I'm trying to determine... Is it personal faith or is it the faith? Here's something interesting. Of all these Greek manuscripts, many of them have faith, several of them have the faith. 
So evidently, either one left the article out or one added the article. But then there's this next phrase. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That could refer to the salvation that is provided earlier in the verse or the way that is written. And that, talking about our faith, not of yourselves. If this faith is not of myself, it wouldn't be my personal faith, but it would be the revealed faith. And then I begin to look at other passages of Scripture. And let me, for instance, refer you to Philippians 3 and verse 9. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. God reveals His righteousness, which is the faith. Let me give you another passage. Galatians 3, verse 23. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. It's a revealed faith. It's my opinion that in the context here, when he says, and that not of yourself, he's referring to the faith, the revealed faith. You're saved by grace. You really didn't have anything to do with God's unmerited favor, nor did you have anything to do with God's revealing of the message. His plan of salvation, if you will. And thus, you are brought to the next part, verse 9, where he says, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. I can't take credit for God's grace. I can't take credit for the faith that was revealed. And thus, I can't boast in any of this. Not of works. Now, I understand that some people really have a lot of confusion when you use that phrase. Why? Let me point out to you, the Bible does not contradict itself. And thus, words must have a different meaning when they appear in different contexts and seem to say opposite things. Let me illustrate it to you here. He says, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In James chapter 2, beginning with verse 21, we read, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect, and Scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Listen carefully to verse 24. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Let me give you another passage. John 6, verses 68 and 69. And they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe on him who he has sent. If Paul says in Ephesians 2, verse 9, We are not saved by works, 
And we are told in James chapter 2 that a man is justified by works. And Jesus himself said that faith itself is a work. I've got to understand that they are using works in two different senses. And what I come to conclude is there are differences between works of merit, good works, things that I do that reflect good upon God, and works of obedience. And this is where we have sometimes a conflict with our religious neighbors. I have friends who will, when I talk to them about baptism, who will say, you folks believe in a work salvation. You believe just because you're baptized that that's going to save you. And I always answer and say, you have misunderstood what I've tried to tell you about baptism. It's not as if the water that's in that baptistry saves you. It is the obedience to what Jesus said to do that saves you. There's differences between works of merit and works of obedience because faith itself is a work. John 6, verses 68 and 69. Do you see the point that I'm trying to drive home here? When Paul says not of works, he's not talking about works of obedience. Do I have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Most certainly, John chapter 8. Do I have to repent of my sins? Jesus said in Luke 13, 3 and 5, I tell you, nay, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. Do I have to confess that Jesus is the Christ? Yes. Romans 10 and verse 10. With a heart man believes unto righteousness, but with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do I have to be baptized? Jesus said in Mark 16, verse 16, how could you put it any simpler? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. What you come away with is an understanding that there are works of merit and there are works of obedience. Which brings me to verse 10. So many people will quote verses 8 and 9 and leave off verse 10. I believe the Holy Spirit, riding through Paul, anticipated some people running to the other extreme and saying, okay, not a work, so I don't have to do anything. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What did God intend for His children to do? He intended us to do good works. He created us for good works. So clearly, good works are not the price of salvation, but the proof of it. You don't do good works to stand before God and say, God, now I deserve it. Give it to me. None of us would ever measure up. But as a child of God, I prove my loyalty and my love for Him and my appreciation for His grace by what I do. 
Let me give you some passages. Matthew 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Why would people glorify God by what we do? It's because they know who we are. We say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. I am a Christian. What do Christians do? They help people, even their enemies. Mark, or excuse me, Acts 9, verse 36. At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. That woman had a great reputation. And then Paul's letter to Titus, I think is perhaps one of the best commentaries on this verse in Ephesians 2 verse 10. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and might purify for himself his own special people zealous of good works. People who want to do good things. Who want to help people. Chapter 3, verses 8 and 14. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Before I read verse 14, Paul was writing to Titus, a preacher. Titus, what do I want you to preach? I want you to constantly remind the brethren we're supposed to be doing good works. Look at verse 14. And let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that you may not be unfruitful. What does God want out of the church at Ephesus? He wants those people to be active, good, helpful. What does God want out of the church at Bobby Branch? He wants us to be dedicated, to be loving, to be helpful, to be appreciative for the grace that has been given to us. We have received, we should give. That's what good works are all about. Let me summarize. There's some principles emphasized by Paul to the Ephesians. Salvation is a gift from God. Salvation comes through faith. One has no position to boast. And God designed that we do good works. Salvation is offered to all men. Titus chapter 2, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The truth is, not all men will receive the grace of God because for whatever reason, whether it's their lack of faith or stubbornness on their part, they'll continue to hold back. But God is still pleading to receive His grace. You can do it this morning by becoming a child of God. Through faith, repentance, confession, and being baptized, God extends His grace to you. If you're one of God's children, don't receive His grace in vain. If you have 
turned away from it, come back to it. Because God loves you that much. If you need to respond this morning, would you come as we stand together and sing?